Last week, uh, Joe taught down through verse 16. I thought he did a really good job. And I'm going to pick up in verse 17 this morning and go actually down to the first two verses of chapter 12. But before I do, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, this morning our subject is faith. And that is very easy to talk about. But many times it's very difficult for us to live in. For we like the known and not the unknown. But Lord, I just pray this morning that as we study faith, as we see the examples of faith, as you even challenge us in our own faith, Lord, would it be you that our heart and our eyes are focused on? Minister to us this morning in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. At the end of chapter 10, the author of Hebrews, which I believe was Paul, there's speculation there, but personally I believe it was Paul, he told the readers of Hebrews to he said something that he quoted from the prophet of Habakkuk. It said, now the just shall live by faith. And he has spent these 10 chapters writing to a group of people who are Jewish, who were converted to Christianity, who have now kind of mixed their Judaism and their Christianity. Some are leaving Christianity altogether. And he has spent these last 10 chapters talking about how much greater Christ is than the old way of Judaism. Christ is not just an addition to Judaism. He's taking the place of Judaism. He's creating a, some people would call it a new dispensation, a new way that God is dealing with mankind. And as he makes this statement, the just shall live by faith, you might ask, well, what is faith? Well, he answers that, and Joe described it last week. I'm not going to go to it in detail, but in chapter 11, verse 1, he says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen or not yet seen. All right, well, what does faith do in me? It tells you there in verse 2. It provides a good testimony for the elders. It will do so for you. It provides understanding in your life. There is much understanding about life, about the word of God, that doesn't come until you have faith. Have you ever wondered why one person of faith and somebody who doesn't have faith in God can see see the same subject completely differently? One is looking through the eyes of faith, the other is looking through the eyes of logic or philosophy or human wisdom. There's a difference there. That's why they can't come to the same understanding. And then as he picked up in verse 4, he began to give us examples of faith. Now remember something. All of the examples that the author is listing was things that these readers were familiar with. In other words, if I was to go back and hit the highlights of your life, you would go, oh, I remember that. Oh, I know that. I know that. So when he's writing this, he's not meaning for us to focus on one point too long. He's just building a case. This man lived in faith. This woman lived in faith. This man lived in faith. But when he came to verse 6, after he had talked about Abel and Enoch, he came to verse 6 and he said something interesting. He said, without faith, it is impossible to please him or to please God. Faith is the requirement to, to come before God without faith. And then he went on in his story. He continued, Noah's got faith. And he talked about Abraham having faith. He talked about Sarah having faith. And he goes on down the line and he talked about in verses 13 through 16. And Joe explained it last week, this heavenly hope. These men and women of faith knew that this earth was not their home. They knew that it was temporary. They knew there was a promise of a Messiah coming. They hadn't had that promise yet. He's going to tell us by the end, hey, you guys have that promise. You have something, they, they had faith, but you got something they didn't have. You have the life and the history and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If anybody should have faith, it should be you guys. So he's going to tell us that as well. And then in verse 17 is where we pick up this morning. He says this. He says, by faith. And you're going to see that phrase repeated by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. Verse 17, by faith, Abraham, 
when he was tested. Oh, we don't like that part, do we? No, no, I don't want any tests. No, no, Lord, just make it, make it easy. I want easy streets. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said in Isaac, your seed shall be called. Now let me get your attention. It's also kind of like a Bible quiz here. If you know the story, it's going to go, ding, I got that. If you don't know the story, I would encourage you to go back and look up these stories. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on each one of them, but I want just, just a moment on Abraham. Abraham was a man that God said, I'm going to make you a great nation, Abraham. I'm going to make your descendants as many as the stars in the sky, the sands of the sea. Your, your, your descendants are going to be innumerable, Abraham. There was only one problem with that. Abraham didn't have any children. So he tried to have a son on his own, and it didn't work out. He had an Ishmael, and named Ishmael, but that wasn't the promise. So eventually, when they were well past years of bearing children, Abraham was 99, and my memory serves me correctly, Sarah was 89. Uh, they had a child. It was on, their bodies were dead, unable to produce children anymore, and she had a child. It was in the answer uh, of prayer. It was a promise of God, and it came true. At this point, what he's referring to, the faith of Abraham, what the author is saying, Abraham offered up Isaac. You see, God came to Abraham one day and he said, Abraham, he goes, you know that son that you have, that promise that all, that all the descendants are going to be as numerable? I want you to offer him up to me. I want you to sacrifice him to me. Now just pause for that moment for a thing. God, really? You want me to sacrifice my son? Wait, 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 God. That's what the Canaanites do. That's what the pagans do. They sacrifice their children. You really want me to sacrifice my only son, my only begotten son? God said yes. Do you think he had a talk with his wife about that one? No. You can't go to your wife and go, yeah, I heard from God today, honey. Oh, yeah, what did he say? Well, i got to take Isaac on the hill. We're going to sacrifice him. You're out of your mind. She's not going to go with that. What does he do? He has obedience in faith. He packs up his son, his only begotten son. That term should sound familiar. He walks him a three-day journey to Mount Moriah, which is modern-day Jerusalem, either at the place where Christ was crucified or very close to the place where Christ was crucified, lays the wood on his son's back as he carries it up the mountain. Christ carried the wood, which he would die, on his back up the mountain as well. And as he got him up to the mountain, he tied him up, he assembled the wood, he put him on the altar. And the scripture tells us he had the knife in his hand ready to plunge it through his only begotten son's chest or heart or however they did it. And at the very moment, God said, stop. Don't do it. And he provides a sacrifice, a lamb. The scripture says he provided himself a sacrifice. And that means he provided the sacrifice for himself, but it also means he provided himself in future years as the sacrifice. So Abraham was being told by God, no, no, we don't sacrifice children. God stopped that. But what he's saying this, he said, we don't do that. We're not, this, uh, that pagans might do that. We're not doing that. I'm stopping that. I'm going to provide the sacrifice for all of mankind. And it's going to be in my son. We don't do it. Then, interestingly, what happens by faith, he finds himself there in this position. God provides the sacrifice for him. But here's what I like. If that were me, I would have thought, God, you're just not going to go through with it. But here's the cool part. Look what his mindset was. Here, look what he concluded in verse 19. 
concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead from which he also received him in a figurative sense. So Abraham went up the mountain with Isaac. By the way, it's a lot of faith on Isaac's part, right? Abraham's 115 years old by now. Isaac's 13, 15. He could have easily overpowered his father probably. He let him tie him up. But Abraham didn't think that God was going to stop it. Abraham concluded, wait a minute, if this promise of God is through Isaac and I have to sacrifice Isaac, then God must, go, must be going to resurrect him. What a picture of Christ that plays out there. It's an, it's an amazing story. I don't have time to go into even in more detail. But he believed that if I have to do this, God will take care of it. You go, Rob, that's an incredible step of faith. I don't know that I could ever do that. Well, God's not calling you to do that. He's not telling you to do that. He's telling you no. But he, this, this idea of faith, look at verse 20. It says, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. Do you know the family of Jacob and Esau? If you do, you know that was one dysfunctional family. And you know the way the blessing happened and it played out wasn't real uh, Christian-like, we'll say. You know, Jacob stole the blessing from Esau. But Jacob desired the blessing, Esau didn't. But at the very end of it, when you read the whole thing and you come to the very final part, when Esau comes in and says, he stole my blessing, you'll read this final part where, 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 he, where, where he, Isaac will say, let it stand. In other words, God's will be done. In other words, I knew in the beginning the younger would serve the older. It's not what I wanted, but God's will will stand. That's essentially how he comes to the conclusion there. He did that in faith. That's what it's telling us there, in faith. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying in verse 21 blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped, leaning on the top of his staff. Jacob's passing on. What, by the way, what's the blessing that he's telling them? Hey, you're going to be the number. You're, the same blessing that Abraham got. He's passing it on to them, this promise from God. And I like it because he's leaning on his staff. Why is he leaning on a staff? His hip was dislocated, right? He was wrestling with God, or maybe we'd be better to say that God was wrestling with him. He's leaning on his staff. He's passing the blessing on. And verse 22, by faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. In other words, when the nation of Israel was in Egypt, when Joseph was there, he said, listen, we're not staying here. This is only temporary. Don't you bury me here among the Egyptians. I am not an Egyptian. You put my bones in... in a, sarcophagus I think the name of it is you put my bones in there and you take me out when God calls Israel out of Egypt I'm going with you my bones take me with you you can imagine the school field trips who's that that's the bones why isn't he buried because he's leaving someday he's not leaving he's dead no he's leaving with us we're not going anywhere we've been here for 397 years stick around a few more years we'll be out of here by faith he said that he said God's promises will stand I know we're leaving it's only going to be a time don't bury me here that's faith Verse 23, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid. Faith and fear do not go together, my friend, afraid of the king's command. It doesn't mean it's not scary to walk in faith, but the two of them can't exist side by side. If you're walking in faith, your trust is in the Lord. If you're in fear, your trust is in something of the unknown. They can't go together. So here he is. His family says, I know that there's been an order to kill all the children under two years of age. We're not doing that with Moses. We're putting him in a basket. We're floating him down the river. Well, that's dumb. He's going to drown. Oh, no, I don't know what God's going to do. Oh, look, Pharaoh's daughter's down there. And she picks him up and she brings him home. And we need a nurse. Oh, I know somebody who can nurse. And his mom comes and gets to nurse him and he gets raised in Pharaoh's house. 
What a life he had. He went from an Egyptian, a ser- I mean, a, a, an Israelite, a servant in Egypt, to now he's in the house of Pharaoh. Some historians say he would have been the next on the throne to Pharaoh. What a life he had. But look what he does. By faith, in verse 24, Moses, when he became of age, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Why would he do such a thing? Choosing, verse 25, rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. So what he's saying is, I've got everything I want here, but I am not among God's people. I want to be where God is. I want to be in God's presence. God is not in Egypt. God is there. I'm going to give up all of what I have. I'm going to give up all of the wealth, all of the finances, all of the future. I've had the finest education that could be bought at that day. And I'm going back to God's people. Why? Why would you do that? He said, for he looked to the reward. There was an understanding in Moses' heart. There's something greater coming. And in order to get it, I'm going to have to walk in faith. And sometimes when you walk in faith, you've got to give things up. Sometimes you do. And sometimes it's difficult. And sometimes it's hard. And sometimes it's, I'm sure it was hard to say goodbye to that silver spoon that he was raised with. And go live in the desert. But yet he did it in faith. It says there in verse 27, by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. His eyes are focused on God. I don't care what man can do to me. I'm not afraid of man. He's focusing on the Lord. For he endured as seeing there, the end of verse 27, he endured as seeing him who is invisible. This is important. Endurance is necessary in the walk of faith. He's telling you how Moses did it. He endured all of this. Because we look back and go, whoa, that's great. How did you do that, Moses? I kept my eyes focused on him who was invisible. Who's that? That's God. I kept my eyes focused on the promises of God. I kept my eyes focused on him and not the situation, not the circumstance, not the Egyptian or the Israelite I, that I just killed, not the Egyptian I just killed, not, not the circumstance of the moment. I'm keeping my eyes focused on him and I am enduring. I am continuing on. By faith in verse 28, it says he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. What if Moses would have said, you know, God... I don't know about this Passover thing. The poor little lamb, he didn't do anything. I'm not going to put that blood on my doorpost of my house, and I have to clean it off tomorrow. It's a mess. I don't want that. He's been in our house for some days now, living with us. I just, I'm going to, just, no, I'm not doing it. Whew. What would have happened? All the firstborn would have been dead. The angel of death wouldn't have passed over. But in faith, he did what God told him. Do you think it was crazy? Yeah, it was a crazy idea. It was crazy to hold his hand up at the Red Sea, too, and watch that part. But yet he did it in faith. And that's the next one, verse 29. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as, dry, as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. More on that. Go back and listen to Thursday night's study. I taught on that in depth. You can pick it up online uh, there. I'm not going to spend too much time this morning. Look at verse 30. By faith... The walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. Do you see? Are you seeing that God will lead you in faith? And sometimes it seems crazy. Sometimes it seems impossible. Sometimes you feel as though you're not equipped. You're not prepared. Listen, if you're equipped and you're prepared, it's not faith. 
It's on your own ability to do something. It's when God says, I want you to do this, you go, I can't do it. If Peter knew how to walk on water, it wouldn't have been a step of faith to get out of the boat and walk on water. He would have just got out and done it. But it was instead it was a step of faith. He got out and he started to walk on water. He had to get out of the boat to be walking in faith. Now what happened when he walked on water? He sank, right? But what happened? Why did he sink? He took his eyes off Jesus. But what happened the moment he cried back out? Jesus said, come on up with me, Peter. And immediately they were back in the boat. That's how it works. This is what what he's saying. When you walk in faith, your eyes have to be focused on the Lord, not on all of the stuff that's going on around you. Where do we leave off here? Verse 31. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she received the spies with peace. So they're walking around. They sent the spies into Jericho. Rahab housed them. She took up for them. She hid them. She remembered, she'd heard about the God of Israel. She believed in the God of Israel. She hung the scarlet thread out of her, out of her home, out of her window, and her and her whole family survived because she had faith to do that. She could have said like everyone else, nah, it's not true what we hear. We don't care, Ours are, our gods are stronger, but she said no. And her faith saved her and her entire family. Let me point out to you that this is men and women walking in faith. It's not just a man thing, it's a woman thing too. Women, you are required to walk in faith too, to under, to, in submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. No different than your husband or any single guy, we are required to walk in faith as well. It's not, a, it's not one or the other. And he says there in verse 32, what more shall I say? In other words, there you go. Here's your examples. What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson, Japheth, also David, Samuel, and the prophets. He goes, I could go on and on and on about these guys walking in faith. Men and women, I could just tell you, I could spend the rest of this letter talking about them, but I think I've made my points. I think I've gone far enough. Verse 33, as these men, he's talking about who through faith, here's what they did. Here's what they accomplished. Here's where faith led them. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. That means they made the opposing enemy army run away. Women received their dead raised to life again. And let me stop right there. Those are all pretty cool things, aren't they? You're like, man, if I got to walk in faith, I want one of those. I want to make the enemy's army run away. I want to be valiant. I want to I survive death, maybe. I want to I I be known. This is kind of cool stuff. I want to quench violence of fire. I want to subdue kingdoms. I want to work righteousness. And that's the case for many people. That's where their walk of faith leads them. But sometimes your walk of faith leads you into some other places. Sometimes it can be hard. Sometimes it can be difficult. Sometimes it can be really hard. Look what it says there in verse 35. Others were. For some, it was this great walk. There in verse 35, others were, what does it say? Tortured. Oh, no, that's not what I want. Not accepting deliverance. Oh, you mean they had an option to opt out? They did that they might obtain a better resurrection. They could have exchanged their faith for the offer before them, but they said, no way. I'm not giving up what God has planned for me. I wonder what we're willing to exchange our faith for. I wonder how quickly we'll exchange it in a difficult season just for the relief of a little bit of pain. 
or the relief of a circumstance, or the relief of a situation, or just a little bit something. How quickly will we exchange our faith? Don't ever exchange your faith. Verse 36, still others had trial of mockings. That's not so bad. Oh, scourgings. Oh, I don't like that. Yes, end of chains and imprisonment. Wait a minute, Robert. Are you saying my walk of faith could lead to prison? It could. I'm not saying it's not. It led Paul to prison. I hope it doesn't for you, but I hope if it does, you will not exchange your faith for something to make you more comfortable while you're there. Instead, I hope you keep your eyes focused on the Lord and allow him to use you in the place that you're at. Verse 37, they were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted, were slain with the sword. I like that tempted, man. Yep, that's all of us, right? They're tempted, they're slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. In other words, what he's saying is your faith is going to lead you some places. There's going to be highs and there's going to be some lows. There's going to be some difficulty along the way. But they kept the whole idea is my heart, my mind is focused on Christ and eternity. Look at verse 39. And all of these having obtained a good testimony through faith do you hope to obtain that someday do you want a good testimony at the end of your life through faith these people had that and look what it says did not receive the promise what's the promise the messiah christ verse 40 god having provided something better for who for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us in other words they kept the faith in trials, in tribulations, in success, in failure, and they had all they had was a promise of a future. All they had was the promise of a Messiah who would someday provide a future. We've already had the Messiah here. He's been. He's gone to the cross. He's risen. Our promise is much greater than theirs because it's happened. We've, we, history tells us that. We can live it out. And here's the amazing thing with this with a passage like this you look at this if you're like me you go man these people are incredible how do they live such a life of faith how did they do it i don't know that i could ever live that kind of life of faith you see if i was to stop right there at the end and, and end this bible study we got time left so we're good good thing i don't have to end it now because that's what he's going to tell us in chapter 12 he's going to tell us how they did it he's going to tell us how to finish the race He's going to tell us, how do we endure? Because the truth is this, your life of faith is going to look different than my life of faith. You can't copy the person sitting next to you. It doesn't work that way. God has a call. He has a plan. He has a path for your life that is individual only to you. I can't even tell you what it is. I can tell you certain things the Bible says that you shouldn't do. But when it comes to, where do I go? Where do I take my job? Where do I live? Where do I go to college? Where do, where, who do I take as a spouse? When it comes to those things, God has that path laid out for you. It's your obligation, if you're walking, leading a life of faith, to say, God, here I am. Who do you have for me? Where do you want me to live? What do you want me to do? What does it look like in my life? You know, but so often we do that and we say, God, I want it now. You got 30 seconds, tell me what the answer is. God says, no, 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 it doesn't want to work that way. You're following me for your whole life. Let's, let's relax a little bit. 
Let's take a little time. Let's get to know each other a little bit. I'll share with you. Your faith will grow a little bit. Maybe you'll fall back and I'll build it up again. Let's work this out in a relationship sense. So here as we come to verses 1 and 2, verse 1 is going to tell us how to finish this race of life. Because right now, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're in a race. You're walking a life of faith. As we come into verse 2, it's going to tell us about endurance. And the question will be, how do we run with endurance? And I'll answer that in verse 2, but let's look at verse 1. I'll read both of them together so we know where we're at. We're on the same page. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. All right, Rob, I'm with you. I'm in a race. I'm walking a life of faith. How do I finish? What's the, what, what do I need to focus on? How do I finish? The first thing I would say to you is come under the encouraging influence of those who have run before you. Come under the encouraging influence of those who have run before you. There are people who have run this race called life before you that can help you and teach you. Some of them are alive. Some of them may be in this room. Some of them are dead. We can learn from guys like Moses and Noah, from women of the Bible. We can learn from all them. Men, who are you allowing to influence your life? Who's the cloud of witnesses surrounding you? Women, who's the cloud of witnesses surrounding you? If it's Oprah and her friends on TV or The View, it's not a good cloud of witnesses. But if we will take time to realize, hey, there's men in the Bible I can learn from. There's men not in the Bible that have walked a Christian life that I can learn from. Ladies, if you don't know who Amy Carmichael is, you need to find out. Because my wife constantly talks about Amy Carmichael, Amy Carmichael, Amy Carmichael, Amy Carmichael, and Elizabeth Elliot, and Elizabeth Elliot, and these women that have walked this life of faith, they're not that old. But she can read their books and they, can, and they influence her. She's surrounded. You know, where do, we get, where do we grow up? If the only food, the growth that you're getting is here on Sundays, you're missing out. I'm just going to tell you. You're not going to be able to finish your walk of faith the way that you need to, the way that God has planned for you. You've got to surround yourself with the people that can speak into your life, both alive and dead, be able to finish this walk. Number two, we have to lay aside some things. He said to lay aside two things, and maybe you could list it two and three or two, or I don't know, however you want to do it. He said to lay aside the weight and the sin which so easily ensnare us. And I like the fact that he made a difference there. Because obviously sin keeps you from walking your life of faith. And and I don't need to list a bunch of sins. If there's a sin in your life right now that's keeping you from growing in faith, you already know what it is. I trust the Holy Spirit's convicting you. And if you don't know what it is, just ask and God will show you. So that's, that's an obvious one. But he also uses this word weight. This weight that ensnares us, it's weight. If you're running a race, do you want any extra weight on your body? No, you don't run the race with 10-pound ankle weights on. That doesn't make any sense. But yet there's weights in our life that can slow us down. They're not sin. They're not, they're not, you're not blatantly sinning against God. But there's weights there. What, what, what could that be? Maybe you're not willing to give up your hopes and your dreams. 
Maybe you're not really willing to die to yourself. Maybe you're not willing to put forth the time in prayer. Whatever, whatever the, is there something in your life, maybe it's a, a relationship that you need to leave behind because it's not a Christian relationship. Maybe there's something that you can, I gotta leave, and I gotta leave this. Now, if you're married, stuck. You're stuck with your weight, okay? You can't do that. Just saying it. But if you're not married, you can, and, and it's, it's your time to get away. If you're married, it's a whole other thing. We'll pray for that. But if, you, if you're not, and it's slowing, it's time to get away. You're slowing me down and walking in my life of faith. You're keeping me from what God has for me. Number four, he says something there interesting at the end of verse one. He says, let us. It's an us. You're not in the race alone. Think about that for a minute. There's a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Let us. You're running a race with a bunch of other people encouraging you along. Not the same race, but they're alongside of you. Let us. What does it do? What does it say? Run with endurance the race that is set before us. There is a race this morning before you. And you can run it with endurance or you can choose not to run it at all. You can choose to quit it and go a different direction. It's, that's entirely up to you. But that word endurance, here's what it means. It means the capacity to bear up under difficult circumstances. So you're running a race, you're carrying a weight, and you are enduring. You are pushing through. You are not giving up. You, you, you're going to endure. Now, if you don't know by looking at me, I'm not a runner, okay? I don't like to run. I don't want to run. I don't plan on running. You're not going to ever see me running down Industrial Boulevard. And if I am, stop and help me because I'm going to need to go to an ambulance pretty soon. <laughs> but here's, in my thinner days, when I did run, here's what I know. It takes endurance. Because the moment you start to run, you know what your body says? Stop. Stop. <laughs> Ouch. I'm hungry. You know, we could sit on the couch and watch TV. Let's just watch the workout video. We don't have to do it. Let's just watch. That counts, doesn't it? There has to be an endurance if you want to reach the finish line. Now, I love it. Now, if you've ever been part or watched a race on TV, there's always a group that's competitive. They get out front and they're running for time and they already know they can finish this race. But what I find spectacular is those people that get in that race and maybe it's a half marathon or a marathon or a 10K, whatever it is, and they're not even sure they're going to finish. And you ever watch them come across the finish line? I mean, they're barely, and the people are cheering, and everyone's encouraging them. The people that have already finished, they're going back to help them get across the finish line because they're, they, they want to be part of this. They're enduring through it. They're enduring, and their body is screaming, stop. You can quit. You don't have to do this. It takes endurance. And here's the question that we, find, we have to ask. How do we run this race called life with endurance? All right, Rob, I got it. I'm in a race. I'm running. I'm tired. I'm saying, you're telling me I need to endure. How do I endure? Can you help me endure through this difficult, uh, you know, and, and you know, you ever notice is, is if, you're, if you're through life, there's lots of times we need to endure, right? You, what, what would happen if uh, the apostles didn't endure? What would happen if Peter didn't endure? What would happen if people hadn't endured what God had placed before them? You need this endurance. How do we endure? Verse 2 tells you exactly how to do it. If you're in a race and right now you feel like, man, it's tough. He's going to tell you how to do it. Verse 2, looking unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus. The first thing you need to do if you're in the race of life and it's hard, you need to figure out, ask yourself this question, where am I looking? Where am I focusing? Am I focusing on my knee that hurts? Am I focusing on the fact that I'm hungry, that I'm tired? Where's my focus? 
Most runners will tell you that when they run, their mind goes somewhere. They can't leave it on the situation because it hurts. It's too painful. It's too repetitive. They want to put their mind somewhere, whether it's prayer or on a vacation, or they they send it somewhere, and their body just performs because their mind isn't even paying attention to what their body's doing. That's what he's telling us to do. Take your mind, focusing it on Christ. How do I endure? The first thing you do is ask yourself this, where am I focusing? Am I focusing on my knees that hurts? Am I focusing on my illness? Am I focusing on the thing that's causing me trouble in this world? Or is my mind focused on Christ? Number two, how do I endure, Rob? Be confident that Jesus is the author and the finisher of your faith. Looking unto Jesus, it says there, the author and finisher of our faith. Be confident of this. We started because of Jesus. We overcome every obstacle because of Jesus. We finish because of Jesus. He is the purpose. He is the reason. If if he's not the reason you're living your life, then you're running a different race. You're, You're off on a different path. You're not in the right race. As a Christian, he's the reason we're running. He's the reason we're enduring. So whether it's bringing down nations or kingdoms or whether it's suffering persecution, we're running because of him. So our focus is not on the persecution. It's not on the difficulty. It's on our Savior. It's on our hope of eternity. Do you can see where that would bring hope in someone's life? It absolutely would. We overcome everything because of him. We finish the race because of him. Don't ever lose sight of that. Number three, what do I do? How do I endure? He tells you right there how he did it. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Make Jesus your source of joy. You know, when you run a long race, you think, well, I'm going to focus on the finish line. That only works in a sprint. If you're going to run a marathon, you think you're going to focus on the finish line at mile three or mile four or mile 10 or mile 12? That finish line is way out there. You've got to get your mind focused on something now. It's got to be focused on Jesus. Your joy, when we're in our race, our joy, our source of joy has to be him. And I love this position. I love this way he says it. He says this, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. If anybody endured through difficulty, it was our Savior. And there was a joy as he endured that was set before him. Do you know what that joy was? Think about this for a second. There was something he was focusing on. I believe it was you. I believe it was me. I believe your face flashed before him as he thought, I love her, I love him, I want a relationship with him. I want a relationship with her. That's what's keeping me going through this because if I don't do this, they will forever be severed from my relationship with myself and the Father and the Holy Spirit. But I don't want that to happen. I will endure. So it kept him enduring. Make the source of your joy Christ. Make that the thing that you're focusing on. He despised the shame. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know something? Every race has a finish. Every race has a finish line. Some are longer, some are shorter, but there's a finish line. And do you know that when you cross the finish line of this life and you look back, if you look back, you're gonna say, it was all worth it. You're gonna say, I'm so thankful that I endured. Have you ever done anything where you pushed your body beyond what you thought it could do and you finally get accomplished to it and you finally reach the point, you go, it's, it's a, the feeling is euphoric. 
It's like, wow, if that, if that happens in a running race, what's it going to happen when we're standing before our Savior face to face? And you're looking back going, why did that have to happen to me, God? You're going to look at him and go, thank you, Lord. Thank you. But so often in this life, in this world, our persecution, our difficulties, our focus, that's where we end up on the stuff around us. Think of your life as a race. Ask yourself, am I in the right race? Am I running after Jesus? It's going to take faith. Faith is hard sometimes. It's going to lead you in places where you're uncomfortable. It's going to require to take steps that might not be normal in your mind. You see, if you're doing it in your own strength and your own will, it's not really faith at all. It's when you step out of the boat onto the water. If you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. If you want to get out of the boat, you've got to have faith that you can do it and that he's going to meet you there. And if you get your eyes off the Lord and start to sink, cry out to him and he'll pull you back up. What a God that we serve. But yet he also says, you know, if you want to stay in the boat, go ahead. Only one disciple got out of the boat. It was only Peter. He was the only one that walked on water. Now, it might have only been for a few steps, but he walked on water. How about you? Are you willing to walk on water with the Lord? You say, Rob, does that mean I have to go start a church? No, it doesn't mean that. No, no, I, I told you, all of our walks of faith are different. What's he calling you to? Is there a sin that he's calling you to lay down? Is there an addiction that he says, stop that? Is there something, maybe it's not a sin, it's just something he's saying, I want you to put this aside for me. There's something that's, that's hindering our relationship. It's hindering your walk. It's ensnaring you. It's tangling you up. It's tripping. Nobody wants to get ensnared while they're running in a race, do they? You don't want any extra weight. I'd be throwing everything off. Think of your life that way. What attitude is ensnaring you? You see, we think of it as physical. Sometimes it's mental. The runner is prepared physically Yes, but the mental preparation, the mental concentration, the mental focus during the race is probably far more important than the physical preparation because that's where my mind is. If my mind is on my body that's failing me, that it hurts, I'm tired, I want to quit. But let me just assure you, when we cross that finish line, when we're there and you're finally there and he looks at you and says, well done, good and faithful servant, now you can enter into your rest. No, I want to rest now. No, 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 no. This is the race. We're not resting now. We're running now. We're racing now. We're, we're pressing on for Jesus Christ. We will rest when we're with him face to face. Now's the time to press forward. Yes, it's hard and it's difficult, but I assure you, as you surround yourself with people, living and dead, it makes it a whole lot easier. And you let these people speak into your life. I can testify to you this morning, I am walking a life of faith. Now, most of you guys know my story. We came here, started a church. It was a life of faith. I was a police officer, not a pastor. But yet I walked in faith because the Lord said so. And now out of that is birthed a church and a radio station and an addictions ministry and all of this stuff that's happened. It's not me. I'm just the one that said I would walk in faith for this. It's something the Lord has done through me, but through all of you guys as a ministry to this community. What a step of faith is he calling you to take? You see, there's a choice with that. You can say no. You can. Or you can say yes. And if you get to walk on water, if you get the chance, I can tell you, my faith after watching God work in the last 11 years at this church is much higher than it was before the day I started. Because I have watched God do things that I didn't know how he was going to do them. I literally had no earthly idea what to do. 
And everybody thinks, oh, the pastor's got the answers. No, the pastor doesn't have the answers. The pastor carries the burden and hopefully puts it on the Lord and says, Lord, what do I do? And hopefully the Lord gives him a passage in Scripture that directs him on how to do it. It's a life of faith. It's not a life of answers. But you have to walk your own life of faith, and you have to finish your own race. I pray that you would.